Today we're on Titus chapter 3. Titus is a book that probably a lot of Christians don't spend that much time in, which is unfortunate because it brings together um, two fundamental poles of the Christian faith. That is uh, dense, rich, uh, packed theological statements and very practical, easily understood ethical implications. And so before we launch into this chapter, chapter three, I want you to zoom out real quick and help you understand the structure of this whole book, because once you see the structure, um, you'll stumble upon a, a profound insight that courses through the New Testament that is um, 100% central to the Christian life. And so the structure is this book just alternates back and forth three times between um, a summary of salvation or a summary of kind of a theological uh, explanation of what God has done in salvation history. So that's one side of it. And then it switches to ethical instruction. So theological summary, ethical instruction, alternating three times. So I'll just point out the uh, summaries of salvation history, and then you can obviously fill in the ethical instructions in between. So the first one is in chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. The second one is in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The third one is in chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. So each summary is four verses, so it makes it easy to easy to grasp. Uh, and then in between those is uh, Paul's instructions on how to live to different groups of people. Um, now, the implication here is that teaching produces proper living. And all of our understanding of God, the triune God, the personal work of Christ, salvation, uh, what we would call theology, uh, understanding the gospel rightly, all of that has implications on how we live. In other words, Christian teaching is not just informative, it's transformative. If we rightly understand the truths of the Bible, then we will have a radical transformation experience because those truths aren't just informative truths. Those truths convey the spirit, the life of God, and the grace of Christ. And uh, as we saw last chapter, grace trains us how to live uh, in this present age. Grace trains us. So our enjoyment of Christ, that's what grace is. That is training us how to live rightly in this present age as we await the second coming of Christ, our Savior. So the reason this is, the reason Christian teaching is transformative is because of the nature of Christian teaching. And hopefully this uh, phrase has stuck out to you in Titus. It, it appeared in, uh, I think, First and Second Timothy also. But the phrase in Titus is in one nine, and it's also in two one. but Paul calls it healthy teaching healthy teaching. Now, some translations translate this as sound doctrine, but literally the Greek word is hygienic. And I'm a little, uh, you know, concerned with people if, if all they know is uh, the translation sound doctrine, sound doctrine, because sound doctrine, I think, um, just only implies doctrine that's error-free, that's right, that's logical, that doesn't have any defects in it. Um, because we think of a, a, a sound ship, you know, that means it would be seaworthy. There's no problems with its construction. We think of sound judgment. Uh, in other words, it's uh, logically uh, 
you know, logically accurate. But Paul's not just talking about correct doctrine. He's talking about healthy teaching. In other words, the teaching of the Bible is not just uh, to be logically rigorous and uh, free of error. It is supposed to be health-inducing. It is supposed to make Christians healthy in their spiritual and moral lives. It is organic in its nature. It has an organic effect on our souls. So this is the connection here. Healthy teaching produces healthy living, proper living, godly, glorifying, uh, Christ-expressing lives in our social contexts. Okay, so healthy teaching is an awesome, if, uh, if not striking, phrase that Paul uses more than once. And he talks about, talks about being healthy in faith. So this is the structure of the book. Uh, teaching produces proper living. Healthy teaching produces prop- proper living. And through the teaching of God's economy, we get in contact and enjoy and experience God's life that transforms us. Two more points here to, to just pay attention to. In 116, this is a great uh, connection that shows this link. This says, certain people profess to know God, but by their works, they deny him. So on the negative side, this shows us that our living verifies our confession. If we consistently live in a wrong way, then we have to call into question our confession of our knowledge of God because our living verifies our confession. And then in 2.10, Paul says that we may adorn the teaching of our Savior God in all things. So this is on the positive side. Uh, Our living verifies our confession, but our living also beautifies the gospel. This is so awesome that our uh, way of living could adorn the teaching, adorn the teaching. In other words, it beautifies it. It makes it more attractive. It makes it more beautiful. And if you think about it like this, the gospel is like a beautiful woman who is inherently attractive, but our living is the jewelry that enhances that beauty and that draws attention to that beauty. So when we live out Christ according to the truth, then our living is an adornment, a jewelry, a beautification of the gospel that enhances its beauty and draws attention to it. It makes people want it. So that is the profound implications of this short but dense letter, that teaching produces living, living beautifies the gospel and attracts others into it. Okay, chapter three, real quick. Let's look at three points, the basis of salvation, the goal of salvation, and the effect of salvation. So this is essentially in five verses five through eight, the basis, the goal, the effect. Okay, what is the basis of salvation? Verse five is the greatest verse in this book. And it says, not out of works and righteousness, which we did, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The basis of our, of our salvation is not our works. This is a central concept in the New Testament. It is uh, a manifestation. Salvation is a manifestation of the love of God breaking into our pathetic, sad, helpless, sinful state as mercy, undeserved uh, unexpected, overflowing generosity and goodness and, you know, salv- salvific, salvation-filled help. So 
The basis of salvation is God's mercy, and that mercy brings us a washing. It brings us regeneration. It brings us renewing. And so, salvation is not just a forgiveness of something we've done wrong. It's not just God saying, I don't hold that against you anymore. Salvation is much more than that. It, it, is, it is a organic washing of our being, washing away the crusty uh, layers of mud and grime and filth of the fall that is you know, accumulated on our heart and our being that uh, affects how we live. The gospel and salvation washes that away from us and it restores us, it renews us to be a new creation through the Holy Spirit's work. It gets rid of the old and it imparts the new. And this is an ongoing continual process. Although the once and for all salvation is a point in time experience, the washing and renewing is an ongoing experience that completely remakes us, remodels us, reconditions us with God's divine life. And it totally transforms how we live. So how we used to live was in verse three, we also were once foolish, disobedient, enslaved to our lust, etc., hating one another. But God's salvation has radically renewed us and that's still going on today. So we need to stay in the renewing process. One way to do that uh, is to praise the Lord for these awesome theological summaries here of what God has done for us. We praise the Lord for your mercy, God. We praise you for washing us, for renewing us, for pouring out the Spirit upon us richly. The more we praise the Lord like that, the more we're filled with the Spirit, the more we experience the, the washing and the renewing. So that's the basis of salvation. Number two, the goal of salvation is, is in verse seven, and it's one word, heirs. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so the goal is that we would inherit something. In eternity, we will not just be forgiven sinners. We will not just be transformed sons. We will be fully qualified heirs. This is awesome. We are going to inherit uh, God's, the father's universal estate. All that our father has is like a, you know, a father and son's business. And when we mature and grow and develop to a certain uh, level of maturity, then we are qualified to inherit our father's universal estate. We're, in, we're going to inherit the world, the earth. We're going to inherit the kingdom. We're going to inherit the blessings of the new Jerusalem. We're going to inherit everything that God is. One of the last verses of the Bible I was looking up is uh, Revelation 21, 7, and it says, he who overcomes will inherit these things. So the goal of salvation is not just to forgive us, to transform us, but it's to cause us to grow up into maturity so that we're qualified to inherit God's kingdom. A three-year-old can't inherit his father's business. Uh, it, it requires a certain level of growth and maturity. Uh, of course, neither can a reckless teenager. You're not going to hand over your business to your 13-year-old son. So we need to mature. This is the goal of salvation. And the way to mature into an heir is to grow in life. And that's why Titus, uh, a couple of times, and even right here, talks about this is the hope of life. When we enjoy God's life today, that life matures us and qualifies us to be an heir of the kingdom in the future. So that's the goal of salvation, being an heir. Finally, the effect of salvation. This is what I've already touched upon with the structure of the book, but this is verse eight. Paul says, confidently affirm these things so that those who have believed in God 
may be careful to maintain respectable works. Um, so back in verse 5, it said, we're not saved based on our works. So good works have nothing to do with getting saved. They have nothing to do with getting saved. But they have everything to do with being saved. If we are saved, then good works should flow from our experience and reception of the divine life. Again, a certain kind of living is in view in this book. A good living, a godly living, a respectable living, a beautiful living. Um, The gospel necessarily involves good works. So uh, this is the effect of salvation. If we are truly saved and, you know, I would say truly in the process of this renewal of the spirit, then this kind of living and these good works will be uh, progressively and continuously manifested in our social context. We're not talking about just being good in your closet at, at home alone, but living out in our society towards others, uh, goodness and godness. So back in verse two, it says, this is toward all men. So everyone we interact with, we uh, relate to, and we have a relationship with the gospel flows out into those relationships and is good. It's respectable. Remember, good means benefiting others uh, in the best possible way. So living Christ from our reception of the divine life in the gospel and in that washing and renewing process, a certain living flows out from that. And the implication here is any shortage in our living uh, and any shortage in our good, respectable works simply points to a deficiency in our appropriation of the truth of the gospel and our experience of God's life. So whenever we notice a shortage in how we live and a shortage of good works, that shouldn't uh, result in trying to flex our spiritual muscles and roll up our spiritual sleeves and grit our teeth and try and do better. That should drive us back into the enjoyment of God's life and drive us into rejoicing in and praising God for these summaries of salvation history and the pregnant truths of uh, the gospel. In other words, pregnant because they are ready and poised to bring forth new life into this world. So uh, hopefully this this helps you understand the book of Titus a little bit more. It's an awesome book, even though it's um, easily kind of overlooked because it seems so simple. Um, But we see the connection between Um, the gospel truths and uh, proper living that glorifies God and is good for others and for our society and world. So in chapter three, we've got um, the basis of salvation, the goal of salvation, and the effect of salvation. God's mercy, washing us in regeneration, renewing us with the spirit, producing us as fully matured sons of God, qualified heirs of the kingdom for the future, And for today, living out a good and godly life that benefits others and expresses God and adorns the gospel through good works. That's the effect of salvation. All right, guys, praise the Lord for the book of Titus, and we'll see you tomorrow.